Hear God's word. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He set them in place forever and ever. He gave a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. He has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his saints of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Eighteen ninety six some very courageous Christian reform missionaries left their, shall we say, normal life and headed out to do some frontier mission work out in the Wild West. New Mexico was not even a state yet. Even now, when you go out there, you travel a few miles and you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere today. Imagine what it was like in the late 1800s Well, uh, these missionaries had a great vision for God's kingdom and for evangelism. And so they set to work establishing a mission base and eventually various mission outposts all around the area. In uh, 1903, they were able to purchase a ranch, 320 acres, and they named it Rehoboth. Let me get my... Uh, Rehoboth. Uh, Rehoboth comes from Genesis 26, verse 22. Uh, Isaac, it's referring to Isaac, he, Isaac, moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. So he had a, he had a place, finally. So he named it Rehoboth, uh, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. So the word Rehoboth means room. And uh, so these missionaries were saying, now with this ranch, we have room or we have a place which we're going to commit to God so that we might flourish in this land to be a light for Jesus Christ, to minister for the glory of God. Uh, This shows the uh, Rehoboth uh, logo. Uh, They have come a long way because you are looking onto a, a track and an AstroTurf soccer field. This is, this is really nice. Um, Rehoboth. The result of this uh, mission now is a variety of Christian Reformed churches in that area. More than you would expect for like in the middle of nowhere out west. I'm like, wow, here's a Christian Reformed church. Here's another one. 
uh, and uh, a school, as was said. They changed the school from Rehoboth Mission to Rehoboth Christian School and has over 500 students pre-K to 12th grade. Now, I had heard about Rehoboth for many years, and uh, it just so happened that this past summer I was able to go um, with Lombard Christian Reformed Church on their youth serve trip. I originally was not going to go. That's a long story, but I weaseled my way onto, onto that trip. And uh, this is the uh, um, Lombard group as you uh, come into uh, Rehoboth, and you see uh, there is the Genesis uh, passage there. Uh, so I was there with... Uh, uh, Lombard Church, and then, as was mentioned, I was there this winter with uh, Timothy Christian Renew Trip, and I had uh, three faith CRC students along on this trip as well: uh, Megan, Medell, and Charles uh, Hooker, and then uh, Morgan Hoving. Uh, this is a hike on top of a mountain, and uh, it's called Pyramid Mountain. Um, my little. Uh, Step counter said we climbed 81 stories uh, to get up there. And uh, I guess I can use, does this work? Oh, the laser pointer. You'll see laying in the snow there, um, on, the, on the left side is our physics teacher, Mr. Rink. And on the right side is uh, Matthew. He's a Native American, Navajo and Zuni. Uh, one of his parents was Navajo, one was Zuni. Interestingly, the Christian Reform Mission originally was specifically targeting Navajo and Zuni. And uh, he was our uh, hiking guide. He's a freshman in college and a graduate from uh, Rehoboth. Uh, And he has shorts and a T-shirt on. I mean, I was like Joe Bundle, you know, and this guy, oh boy, yeah. So uh, anyway, it was a wonderful trip. so good, I came back and I said, Timothy needs to do this again. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think we'll go for next Renew, but it will be high on. I'll be really pushing it for the, uh, for the next year uh, for Timothy Christian to go back uh, for Renew. Now, our time in Rehoboth was service. Our time was also exploring the Southwest. It was so exciting. We were hiking in a canyon, and uh, one girl said, I've never been in a canyon before. It's like, oh, this is so good to uh, just invite uh, students to explore the Southwest. Um, In addition to uh, our service and our learning is uh, we learned about Native American culture as well. And uh, Rehoboth is very intentional about this. Uh, Here is our uh, Timothy group at Window Rock. And uh, um, right in in front of the group behind me taking the picture is the Navajo Nation headquarters. Now, this is in Arizona, maybe 30 to 40 minutes away from from Rehoboth. And uh, so what happened here is uh, Rehoboth and many schools created boarding schools uh, to or, in order to better educate Native American children. Uh, the problem was, is kind of uh, built into the boarding school mentality was, in a sense, to make the Native American children 
more white, more, more Anglo. And uh, there were some places that really abused this, not at Rehoboth, but it was, it was bad what was happening. Um, now, Rehoboth built dorms and had a boarding school, uh, but even in that, they saw that just kind of built into that structure was to remove children from their culture and say, oh, here's our culture, this is better. Not overtly, but it was kind of communicated that way. Uh, Rehoboth eventually realized this, and uh, in the 90s they stopped uh, boarding students and then established a a fairly substantial bus system uh, that travels 40 to 60 miles uh, to pick up children. the dorms ended up being a good thing because groups like us could go and we had a wonderful place uh, to stay. Uh, but in light of that past injustice, Rehoboth very much intentionally likes to com- communicate the beauty of Native American culture. And uh, so what I'd like to do this evening is uh, just reflect on a few of these things. Uh, as Christians, we are called to be humble. And humble people are teachable people. Obviously, the point is not that we should become more Native American, simply that uh, we can learn from them. And actually, they, they can learn from, from us as, as well. Uh, so I came up with a, a list of, of seven things. I ran it by a Native American, and uh, he gave me a thumbs up. This is good. He was impressed that I was thinking about this and invited me uh, to a restaurant. Uh, this was this summer. And uh, that was actually Matthew who was lying in the snow. He goes, oh, I want to take you to a restaurant. I'll take you. You can pay. I'll take you. And uh, so we went to a restaurant, and uh, we walked, and it was all Native Americans. They were all in jeans. I was in my, you know, moisture-wicking hiking shirt, my, you know, hiking pants, and the white guys was, like, out of my element. And uh, I got to try sheep intestine filled with sheep fat, which I was a good sport and had two bites and said, I am done. Hopefully for the rest of my life on that one. Anyway, uh, so here are uh, uh, what I learned from Native Americans. Uh, Strong identity and family. Uh, We have this as well, and I'll I'll explain. Identity and family, not tied to time. Uh, Respect for creation. Uh, Importance of ceremony and tradition. Uh, Importance of symbolism. Respect for elders, all the grandparents say amen, that one, and uh, meeting in a circle. I, I, I just kind of think your next consistory meeting, elders and deacons should all sit on the floor in a big circle. This could be helpful, right? I'm joking. That was not a point of my sermon, but I wanted to say it. Uh, so what I've done is uh, I've just uh, picked three of these. And uh, just would like to uh, make a few comments uh, about this. This is our uh, January group, and uh, it was a rather perilous hike to get to this spot, right? And then we uh, climbed up uh, into this uh, rocky place. Uh, When Native Americans will greet one another, if they're doing it traditionally, uh, they have a very set pattern. They will first state their name, then their mother's clan, mother's clan always comes first, then the father's clan, then they will refer to 
the maternal grandparents and then the paternal grandparents. And so right up front in the greeting is the importance of identity in family. Okay? You think you like Dutch bingo? They were a lot better at this even before you because uh, it's right up front in the greeting. Uh, the point is here are my roots. This is who I am, my family. And quite frankly, the other point is let's try to figure out if we're related as well. So identity. Now I'm going to read a passage from God's word. It's from Ephesians 2. Just listen along. As I read, I will emphasize the words that talk about Christians, not as individuals, but as a group. All right? So from Ephesians 2. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, the context of this passage, Ephesians 2.18, for through him, Jesus, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access to the Father by one spirit. Through the redemption of Jesus Christ, you now are called citizens, God's people, household members, building temple, and God's dwelling. By the Apostle Paul just put all of these metaphors, pack them into this passage. What is the point? A fundamental part of our redemption in Jesus Christ is we are saved to be together, to be community, to be the body of Christ. Believers in Jesus Christ are rooted as children of God in the context of Christian community. So how can we apply this to our lives? We live, of course, in a culture that throughout the week we are being preached at. And the sermon is life is all about you. It is individual, individualism. It is all about you. And, of course, the, the words that I just said from the Bible, you all agree with. It's good for us to revisit this. Because we are being preached at constantly, life is all about us. My identity is rooted in my way, my preferences, my feelings, and my desires. And that is the core of my identity. And sometimes we can uh, reduce even our Christian walk to, is God answering my prayers the way I want him to answer them? I feel strongest in my faith when my prayers are answered this particular way. Recently, there was the Super Bowl, and there was this ad. Oh, whoa. Uh, it was a fa- I'm not going to mention the athlete, but it was a famous athlete. What caught my attention is the ad began, and he was praying. This isn't an ad. It was uh, for Beats headphones. 
so the, the athlete is, is praying in the ad. So, oh boy, my ears are perked up. And here was the last line of the prayer. It was, give me the strength to finish this my way. I got out and I typed this in, typed it down. Wow. It is all about praying for my way. Individualism. Now, as long as we're on the Super Bowl, I, I heard that uh, Peyton Manning gave you know, an interview, well, all of them do, before the game, and the interviewer asked, what do you want your legacy to be? And at this point, Peyton Manning got choked up. And what did he talk about? Actually, he talked about community. He talked about team members and coaches and his place in it. And you could tell it was from the heart and he wasn't just trying to you know, sound good. He, he really meant this. And then after the Super Bowl, the commentators remarked about his comment about team unity, and then they talked about biblical concepts. Ah, graciousness, humility, integrity, Christian character that is essential for Christian community. So I ask you how... Uh, questions that we should ask ourselves. How can I serve Jesus by serving others? How can I encourage others in community? And as we rub elbows with other people in our lives that are not a part of the Christian community, to be thinking that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, and not only that, I'm a part of a community. So as, as we're talking with other people, to be thinking and praying, how might God open doors so that I might invite this person to participate in this beautiful blessing of Christian community that I am a part of? Identity, our identity in community. A second, a time, time. So uh, um, on the on the right there, that is that is Pyramid Mountain that we were at on the top of in the in the snow, and uh, this was our hike coming down afterwards. Wow, wow. Uh, so time. Uh, Native Americans are not so tied with time. Uh, really, there's only three important times in a day: when the sun rises when the sun is highest in the sky, and when the sun sets. That's it. Not so tied with time. Uh, It is a slower pace, and there's other cultures in the world that are like this as well. Uh, Not hurried. Not hurried at all. Uh, Galatians 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. What is the context? What is... Paul referring to, he's referring back to Abraham. 2,000 years earlier, Abraham, I promise, and part of the promise was land and the nation, this came earlier, but also to be a blessing to all people. The set time was 2,000 years later. Obviously, God's timing is not always our timing. 
Proverbs 19.11, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. A Christian character quality that all of us are called to, and for many of you, most of you, and I put myself in this category as well, patience is a tough one. But God is calling us to grow in patience. And part of growing in patience, what is it? It's to let go of our grip on time. Wisdom results in patience. Now, I have a Bible story. I share this one with my students, and to me, this is just amazing. I'm just glad I was not Isaac. Let's just put it that way. Um, So we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? So uh, Isaac was uh, 40 years old. This is from Genesis 25. Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. Are you kidding me? This happened the second generation. Abraham and Sarah couldn't have a child. And years and years, finally, Sarah has a child. It's Isaac. What are the odds that now Isaac's wife cannot have a child? And the pressure is on. I mean, She must have a child in order for God's promise to stand. This is is tense. So what does the Bible say? Isaac was 40, and he prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. He prayed. The Lord answered his prayer. His wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. Skipping a few verses. After this, His brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. And then the Bible says this, Isaac was 60 years old when the children were born. Earlier, it says, Isaac prayed for his wife and God answered his prayer. Come to find out, he prayed for 20 years. Talk about letting go of time and trusting in God. I, I, can't, I can't picture this. Believe this. This is what he did. 20 years. So our lives. Uh, friends, most of us in this room are very punctual. This is good. This is our strength and can be our weakness. Many of us in this room are very productive and we prize and take pride in efficiency. This is good. This is our strength, but also can be our weakness. There are times when God is calling you to let go of your grip on time and not be so tied with time. I preach this to myself. Uh, Two little uh, interesting stories. Uh, This past summer, I did a a couple weddings. Uh, when I would do the wedding rehearsal the night before, I would say to people that in my experience, weddings usually start five minutes late, which is actually good and appropriate. Let's just kind of plan on it. Okay, this gives the last minute people coming in, you know, time to sit down. Usually nobody shows up more than five minutes late. Sorry if you ever have, but usually not. And it just gives just few moments to get all organized in the back. I have never had anybody question me on this. 
except for this summer. Uh, there was one particular wedding. They had hired a wedding coordinator, which is fine. I work, I work well with the wedding coordinators, you know. Uh, but at the rehearsal, <laughs> I said, now in my experience, five minutes late. And she, with her clipboard, you know, and her earpiece, you know, like this, she goes, this wedding will start on time. Well, she was so serious, I was not going to argue. I said, listen, I will be here on time. You just tell me when to go. It's fine. And uh, wouldn't you know, there was an issue with one of the, they had rented some buses to go from the hotel to the wedding site. Uh, Wouldn't you know, there were some issues. (laughs) Five minutes late. I didn't smile. I didn't walk up to I didn't rub in it. But it was 20 minutes late. The latest wedding I've ever had, 20 minutes late. And uh, we had that little conversation, let go of time. Uh, more seriously, uh, this is a long, longer story, and I'm not going to go into it. But there was a time in my life between uh, working in a church and between coming to Timothy uh, where I needed a job, and I did not have a job. I had a family and no income. Uh, rather tense. And I needed to find a job. And I don't know what it was. Something in my mind, I thought of Ezra. And Ezra, uh, the priest in the Old Testament, before he traveled uh, back to Jerusalem, he got everybody together, ready for this big trip, and then he said, we will now pray for three days for God's blessing on this trip. And I I remember reading that going crazy. Uh, But before I looked for a job, I thought, I'm going to spend three days. This is a pivotal point in my life. I'm going to spend three days uh, in prayer. Uh, Not 24-7, but I spent like hours per day for three days praying. When the end of the three days came, I was like, and now I'm going to go look, and it's a longer story. But a point is, there are times in your life God's going to call you to let go of time. And uh, Native Americans, they got that down. Uh, now, they can learn from us in other ways with the, the punctuality, but you know we'll leave that for another time. All right, and uh, lastly, uh, creation. creation. This actually is the canyon that we hiked down into, and you can see a few uh, uh, students uh, hiking, up, hiking up in the can- Canyon de Shea, and this was in uh, Arizona. Um, yeah, quite spectacular canyon. Uh, Native Americans, as you might imagine have great respect and appreciation for nature, which I would call creation. Great respect. And uh, they're surrounded by open country. Uh, The West is just vast space. Uh, They're surrounded by this and uh, live off the land and uh, great appreciation. And so uh, that's why uh, the reading in Psalm 148, praise him, sun, moon, shining stars, you mountains, hills, fruit trees, and cedars. For us to observe creation and to just name it, the psalmist names it. Uh, the Irish they are, are very good at this as well. Back in the ancient Irish uh, Celtic Christian, they would name aspects of God's creation, and sun, moon, and stars, praise the Lord. 
uh, naming it, observing. For myself, teaching in the school, I, I teach Bible, but I, I kind of like science too. It just, it, it's neat. And, and uh, I remember studying biology, and that pointed me to God as I studied about the human body. So amazing uh, to make observations and to see creation and even science. Also, spending time outdoors. I think as humans, naturally, if we spend a lot of time outdoors as humans, regardless of religion, we sense the sacred when we spend a lot of time outdoors. And I think that's why there are people all over the world that will, will yearn. This, there's a spiritual yearning. We're created in God's image. God has given us this spirit you know, this is, I think, a marker that God did create us. Now, people look for that spiritual connection in all sorts of, of different ways, unfortunately. And uh, God's word calls us back that when we are outside and we sense the sacred, we are to realize this, accept this, and then bring praise to the one who created it. This is what the psalmist did as well. Uh, spending out time outdoors, we can sense the sacred. Uh, Genesis 1, 28 and 2, 15. God blessed them and said to them, Adam and Eve, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish, the birds, over every living creature. And Genesis 2, 15. The Lord took the man, put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. Uh, these passages, in charge of the garden, care for the garden. In charge of creation and care for creation. And so what about our lives? Uh, with creation, it should lead us to worship, uh, to sense the sacred and, and, and to worship. Isn't it interesting when people see the stars, like a lot of stars, there's a sense of awe, not futility. There's a sense of wow, not I am so small, my life is meaningless. Isn't that it? Yeah, I'll ask anybody, tell me about when you've seen a lot of stars, and they will tell you about the awesomeness, marker, that God is the creator and is calling us to worship him as we see his creation. Uh, to be amazed at creation is a good thing. And when we are amazed, our hearts should, should sing for joy and worship our God. Now, for me, I, as, as you know, I delight in creation. And uh, that is a cool tree, would you not say? I don't know why everybody in our group did not want to pose with this tree, but I certainly did. Uh, I'm just curious as to the history of how it grew in that curved shape there. It's a Utah juniper, and this was on our hike up, uh, up to Pyramid Mountain. Uh, just delighting in God's creation. I have another creation picture. It's a, it's a picture of somebody sitting in this room right now. Yes. Uh, there is Megan in the lead with the sled, enjoying the snow and, uh, and gravity and, and sledding down. Remember that, yes. 
Of all of my students that enjoyed sledding the most, hands down, right here, right here. She, well, she went down the hill more than anybody else. Hands, I was like, I could not believe it. And she actually was a very community person in this. There were all different people that she would go down with. Oh, this is wonderful. It's very good. Shall I stay in that picture? We'll go to the, uh, the blue spruce. There we are. Um, so uh, caring for creation. I think about the 1970s. I don't know. Do you recall those, those weird environmentalists who are staying up in trees in California and the police are trying to get them down. And uh, do, you, do you remember uh, uh, this in California? And they, it was civil disobedience. They were climbing up these trees, wouldn't get down, and you know they were in the news, and like, oh boy, they're nuts. And they were kind of odd. Um, however, do you know what? We look back on that time, and actually, we're kind of thankful they did that because uh, the lumber companies wanted to just chop down all the redwoods. And quite frankly, you know, I don't know what the percentage is. 90% of the redwood forests have been chopped down. So we're kind of thankful that we at least have 10% to go see and explore and, and hike through. And it's just kind of interesting change of years. Years later, we're like, wow, we're kind of glad we set that apart. Uh, we're kind of glad that there are spaces in America that, you know, national parks, national forests, that we, that we just say we shouldn't just, you know, uh, cut down all the trees or, or, or whatever, uh, mine everything. So uh, we live now in this polarized society. Uh, it is, you know, the, the radical environmentalists over here that say no to everything. And then they have, we have big business over here that says yes to everything, and more money, the better. Who cares? More money, the better. And uh, I think uh, God has given us creation to use. This is good. Some people come up to me and like, we cut a tree down. Aren't you sad? Well, I'm not sad. My house is made of wood. I'm, I'm glad for wood, you know. Uh, so creation, use, good. However, we should also think about how we're abusing creation and, and when do we need to say no to things as well. And uh, what is that kind of, uh, kind of middle ground? And this is a hot topic. It's in the news a lot. And uh, where should Christians be on this? This is God's world, and how can we care for it? So my uh, time to Rehoboth was uh, a wonderful time of serving and exploring, but also learning. And uh, through learning various parts of Native American culture, as you can see, I saw truths from God's word. And I used those truths from God's word to help... Uh, shape and mold me as a more faithful disciple of Christ. And so I ask you this evening, when you consider your identity, how you approach time and creation, simply how is God calling you to be more faithful to him? Amen.